so good to be here and uh, so, see so many familiar faces. Uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter 2. It's the, it's the letter to the church in Ephesus. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there, look up on your phone. Um, and I did want to start off just with a couple things as you're turning there. I know big weekend, a lot of holidays. Um, Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday. That's pretty amazing. I was excited to see that. Yeah, it was awesome. It's amazing. Um, and then also, you know, Father's Day. Um, today, is it, it's today, right? Yeah, okay. We celebrated it yesterday because I knew I'd be here today. Um, but, but that's pretty cool. And I do have three boys. Um, Jude's nine, Caleb's almost seven, and Emmett is uh, two and a half. And so I got some cards. And uh, yeah, I just had to read you guys these. I mean, the, Caleb gave me three cards because uh, one's not enough. And uh, the first one, it says, they're all the coupons. You have a coupon. I will make you tea. That's the first one, spelled T-E-E-Y. I will make you tea. All right, I've already used that one. All right, it was a good day for tea. Then the next one, they get better. The next one starts, it says, surprise, it a coupon. <laughs> I will clean the living room and dishes Love Caleb in cursive writing. I mean, look at that cursive. Yeah, it's pretty good. He's gotten into his cursive. But dishes is spelled dish and then I-S-H. So dishish, you know. <laughs> and the last one, surprise. It's a coupon. <laughs> I will make you a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. This son knows my heart. <laughs> I, I told him that was, that was my favorite one. And then Jude, I should really take a picture on this and, and post this to the internets uh, later and, and YouTubes, but uh, he draws these pictures and they're very elaborate of all these like episodes, things that have happened, things that could happen. And uh, so he's got some creative ones on here. Uh, I, I got a new car from my grandfather uh, recently. He, uh, he retired from driving and I was like, hey, what's the plan for the Audi? And uh, <laughs> And so one of these pictures is me driving a car and it's clearly marked on the speedometer. I'm going 100 in the, in the alley. And I was like, yep, I've done that. Uh, another episode is we, do, we just got a new bed for Emmett. He's moving out of the crib, pack and play. He's moving into the a real bed. So this is me with all these like pieces of wood from Ikea. And I have a mad face and a drill in my hand and a question mark above my head. Ah, you know, which is pretty accurate. And then another one is uh, me surfing and about to get killed by a wave, which did happen uh, over spring break. And so I'm glad that I'm here. Uh, so there we go. That, that, that blessed me. Um, that's a little bit of a, a day in the life of, of what's going on in our house. And, uh, and, and, and that it does tie into what I'm going to talk about today, because there really is something just about the heart that we're going to get into in this passage and that, that just brought my heart to life, just filled, you know, our day with joy. And I think that's so important. So I want to I talk about that. Um, right before we get in the passage, the last thing I want to show you just is a couple slides, because I've gotten a lot of questions, especially even over the last couple years, like how does the Grace family work? And James talked about how there's like 10 churches in the Grace family now. I've been a part of Grace for about 20 years, so long time. And so when I transitioned out here from Grace Midtown, I'm still working with the Grace family, um, and, and if you go to this first slide, we got kind of a couple slides that show how the family works. So in the center, there's this family mission that we all hold to raise up next generation leaders 
to plant new churches, which is something we've been doing for a while, and to catalyze Jesus movements in the Muslim world. And then we have some family functions, some data, some systems that we all use to help all the churches. So our role, the family team's role, the team I'm on, is just to serve the churches. We want to see a movement of healthy churches. That's our, our vision. And, and we share these common mission things, but we want to just see this thing multiply and expand all different kinds of churches, all different sizes, and all different places. So our team serves just to serve all these churches, to support all these churches. Uh, and if you go to the next slide, something that just is unique about us, we share roots, relationships, and resources. And, you know, we share roots. This is a big deal. James talked about roots. Like, man, I've grown up here um, at the beginning of this service. You know, so we have history with, with relationships. We also have history with just the DNA of grace, history, roots in the, in the scripture, roots in what the church can be. We're trying to call each other to what the church can be and not just be something. It's not something that once was. It's something that is and is, is emerging. And so these letters to the churches are so cool because these churches were all different churches in Revelation, unique, individual, autonomous churches, but they're staying connected. So we have that sense of, of rootedness together. We also have that sense of relationship. We meet together. We have retreats together. We're praying for each other. We're trying to learn from each other. So that's a big part of, of who we are. And then finally, we share resources. We think we can do more together than just on our own. So planning churches, raising up leaders, we want to do this together and pull our resources. And so that's kind of how the, the movement works. Just the next slide shows you how we do the resourcing. So when Buddy Hoffman died, he was the founder uh, in 2017. There was a key man life insurance policy. We put a million dollars in a common pot. That's what all the churches agreed to. Just off the interest, that's an investment account. We'll never touch the principal. Just off the interest, there's been like $300,000 that's come out of that million that we've been able to use to raise up next generation leaders and plant new churches. We're getting to 10 churches because of even that initial investment. So I'm just, that's just awesome to me. I love that we came around that vision. Then all the churches agreed to give 5% of their local tithes and offerings. So even if we support a church plant, you know, with $100,000 or something to get started, they still give 5% of whatever they get locally to fuel the movement of the family. So we're all got skin in the game. And then lastly, we have this big once a year gathering, Pentecost, we had that recently a couple weeks ago up at Lake Lanier to celebrate the launch of some new churches that we invited into the family. So if you didn't see that, you can go and, and check out gfc.tv slash Pentecost and learn about those new churches in the family. And we have a giving goal every year. Our goal is 150000 this year. We're about halfway to our goal. We're at about 80000 So if you want to contribute to that as well, I have the blessing of all the pastors to say, you can give towards that goal, baby. This is one... One time a year, we're just coming together as a family to do a special kind of fundraiser. So that's a little bit about how we function. That's kind of what's been taking up uh, my time. It's three simple slides, but that took about four years of like hard labor and prayer. So I'm excited about those and excited about what God's going to do. Um, but let's get into this passage because, again, we see these churches um, in Revelation. It's so similar to what we feel like the vision God's given us and what we're trying to do here and what we're trying to be faithful to. Um, so I listened to the last couple messages, love just how Rob started this series. What does it look like to be faithful uh, to Jesus? And each church has an invitation because each church is different and they each have a message. They each have something they're supposed to carry in their unique context. And Revelation is all about uncovering. Every letter opens with, or ends with open your ears, uncover your ears. You can hear what I'm saying but not really hear it, not really understand it. 
And so we want to lean in this morning and say, what was the message to the church in Ephesus? Um, I'm going to share a couple things about Ephesus that I think are going to help us even understand the message that Jesus is speaking to them. And I think it's pretty similar to even the context of Atlanta and specifically even Grace Midtown. So a couple quick things about Ephesus. It was an enormously wealthy and important port city in Asia Minor. So it's kind of the flagship like city or, or church in this uh, group of churches listed in Revelation 2. There was a thriving cosmopolitan center of trade and religion and recreation. There was probably about 250,000 people that lived in Ephesus, which is a huge population at that time. A lot of people coming through all the time because it was a port city for trade. But even for religious purposes, there's this temple of Artemis that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Interesting thing about Ephesus, there's not a modern day city in Ephesus. Like the coast continued to back up over time. So it wasn't a port city anymore. Port city anymore. So it was basically abandoned as a city. And so all the ruins are still there. You can go there in modern day Turkey and check all this stuff out. And so there's really well-known things about Ephesus. Another thing, there was this great theater. It could seat 25,000 people. Think about that. 25,000 people. Um, so huge moments for people to gather and have sports and plays. And this is the place that a protest broke out against Paul in Acts chapter 19. It was in that great theater. Two agoras, a civic agora, a commercial agora. There was gladiator grave sites there. So this whole kind of tradition of recreation that way. So you've got a lot going on is, is what I'm trying to get at. A lot to be involved in, a lot of things you could do, a lot of things that could get your time and your attention and your heart. And I think there's something in that, in the busyness and the, the, the things you can be involved in in the city that connects to the message Jesus is speaking to this church. So I'm going to read it to you, and there's lots we could go into here, but one thing has just been sticking out the last three months as I've been reading this, and and that's what I want to focus on this morning, just that one thing. So here's, here's the letter to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The lampstands are the the seven churches. I know your deeds, he says, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So there's this huge affirmation up front. It would have been easy for them to have given up. But they've persevered. They've suffered hardships for the name of Jesus. A lot to be proud of. Yet I hold this against you. And, and, and let me say this really quick before I go into this. Revelation is about these churches going deeper and deeper in, in relationship with Jesus. And as I've thought about this, the, the, the relationships that mean the most to us, the deepest relationships we have in our life, those are the ones that we hold the highest standards for and the ones that we honor the most. You know, I, I'm not just listening to anybody off the street telling me, hey, what critiques do you have for me? But when, when my wife says, hey, I have this against you, <laughs> th- this is a problem in our relationship. Like, I'm gonna listen to that. And we speak a deep truth 
even if it hurts, in love because the relationship means so much. So this critique is not about, I want you to feel ashamed, I want you to feel condemned. This is about, I wanna go deeper with you in a relationship. And if we're gonna go deeper, then this needs to be said. I have this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Some translations say you've abandoned the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent, change your mind, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Each church had a message they were holding out. And Jesus is saying, if you cease to, to, to come back to this first love, the light in your church is gonna go off. It's not even so much that he's taking it. It's, some, it's, it's basically that it's, it's dissolving. It's going away. The light is going off. If you don't have the love, what do you have in your church? But this is in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So again, there's this huge affirmation. You've worked hard for me. You've persevered for me. You've suffered for me. You've been gritty. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship and someone's brought something like this to you, a roommate or a spouse or family member, and you're like, you know how much I've done for this family? Do you know how hard I've worked? Do you know how much I've persevered? There would have been a, maybe a defensiveness here. And Jesus is like, I know you're patient. I know you're gritty. I know you've persevered. You haven't taken shortcuts in your faith. You're theologically astute. You're testing the things that you're learning. But do you still love me? Is your heart still in this relationship? And apparently it's not. And when I, when I read this, and when I've been meditating on this, and for this not just to be some Bible words that we read, it's made me think a lot about my own uh, marriage. And so Margaret and I have been married for like 14 years, almost 14 years. And when we got married, I mean, we were so in love. I, I, it's like that scene from Titanic where Leonardo DiCaprio is like on the ship. He's like, I'm the king of the world, you know. Woo! Has anybody seen that? Just me. All right, cool. The king of the world, you know. You're like, oh my gosh, this, this thing you've been working towards, this, this hope that you've had, the moment is there and all the feelings are there and, and it was so exciting. And I think, I did not know I did this, but unconsciously it was almost like, check. I've been pursuing this. I've been waiting for this and I, I got it. Now I'm married. Let's, what's next? Build career, build ministry. And of course I want to do it together, but I'm moving. On. It was almost like a moving on. And I didn't realize I was doing that. Seven years later, which is kind of a long time. <laughs> Seven years later, I'm on this uh, ministry trip uh, with some people from this church uh, in the UK. And I had two boys at the time and something happened in the space of worship. It was like a worship kind of, trip with with house fires and there was this environment of music and something started happening in my heart it was like a revelation an uncovering of the heart and I don't know God just did it I just realized that this revelation I have lost Margaret's heart and I think I lost it shortly after I gained it that was like the revelation I was having I started missing my two boys. We didn't have Emma at the time more than ever before. I was like, I just want to go home and be with my family. And just sitting in that worship, sitting in the music for the next few days, 
just something happened in my heart. So I, I was excited. I went home. I'm coming home like the prodigal, coming home. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Expecting this big, you know, passionate reunion. Uh, I'm envisioning all kinds of things, you know, this overflow of our love. And I tell Margaret this confession, really. It's, I've had this revelation. I, I, have, I've, I have lost your heart. My heart, I'm, I'm not connected to my heart. I used to live for my heart and I've been living, I don't know, I'm living for success. I'm living to build stuff. I, and it was all good things. It wasn't terrible things. I just lost that priority of her heart in our relationship. And so I confessed that and I shared that expecting this big moment. And it was, it, it was almost confirming the pain that she had felt in her heart. It confirmed what she knew to be true. So initially it actually created more distance. There was, there was no passionate reunion. There was a a sorrowful, I've been saying this <laughs> kind of thing. And then it took about a year. And I've been preaching this at the other Grace Church, but this is the first time I'm preaching it with Margaret in the room. Uh, it took about a year uh, for us to get in this place. Because she was like, I, I hear what you're saying. I want to see, you know, the deeds. He says, do what you did. Do the things you did at first. So the letter says, do the things you did at first. I know what you're saying, but I want to see your actions line up with this heart. And God just rewired me during this time. And it was not immediate, it was very slow. And I just had to change my lens. I just felt like God was bringing me back to my heart, like how do I view everything? And maybe you don't feel connected to your heart at all. Maybe you're like, what, what's going on in my heart? I, I don't know, do I even have a heart? Um, I had to get reconnected to my heart. There was a book that I, God led me to during this time called Margin. I mean, I was convicted just when I looked at it, like, Margin? Like, what's that? Uh, I mean, my, my whole thing was like, let's, we're going with God, we're doing important stuff, like, just go as hard as you can until you die. And then you're in heaven, and you just take a break. <laughs> I mean, I, looked, I was like, Margin, who, who has time for that? <laughs> Sounds good. And, and reading through this, and it's written from like a very, you know, Christian perspective, but the, one of the key tenets of this book is if you don't have margin in your life, the number one thing that suffers is relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with others. And so I want to ask this, this question just on this verse. If this has happened in us at all, if we're disconnected from our heart, if we've forsaken this first love, this priority of, of, of God being first in our life and, and, and being first in our heart, what do we do? How, how do we love him well? How do we do the things we did at first? And I just want to give you three things. And the first one is, is guard your heart because it's all about the heart. It is all about the heart. And there's a bad way you can live from your heart and there's a beautiful way you can live from your heart. But I'm not going to go down the path of don't be connected to your heart because that might get you in trouble. That's, that leads you to a dead place. And Jesus is telling this church, you've got to be connected to your heart. Love comes out of the heart. And this is the, the, the verse that's been speaking to me so much. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, above all else, make sure you do this. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. There's another translation the Passion Translation says this, so above all, guard the affections of your heart. 
What are the affections of your heart pining after, going after right now? Where are the affections of your heart? For they affect all that you are, the passage says. Guard the affections of your heart. They affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm old enough now that I'm like, I want to live for my innermost being. I don't want to have a fake relationship with God. I don't want to have a fake life. I want to live from the overflow. So I, I, I've just made a decision. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get in touch with that innermost place. And that's what God was doing in that season of just rewiring me, bringing me back to my heart. Dallas Willard says it this way, a heart rightly directed brings health and wholeness to the entire personality. A heart rightly directed brings health and wholeness to the entire personality. I don't know about you, I can feel, I know my heart drifts and I know when I'm, I'm my heart is going places where I'm like, yeah, it's taking me down this road and I think it's gonna make me happy, but I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be whole, I'm not gonna be healthy if I go down this road. And here's the reality. If your heart gets connected to God, if your heart's in a good place with God, it doesn't mean you're a robot. It doesn't mean you're like everybody else. That was one of my fears. If I follow God, I'm just gonna be just put in this box. As you follow, as your heart gets connected to God, you should become more like yourself, more the person that you are called to be. It's, it's your whole personality coming out. So again, one of my heart drifts is, is autonomy. I just, I wanna be independent. My, my human nature is like, I just wanna do what I wanna do. It's that independence. And that leads me to a bad place. I'm not connected to God. I'm not connected to other people. God's always leading me to interdependence. It's a different way. I don't know what your heart drifts are, but if we allow our hearts to fall after God, it leads us to this healthy and whole place. Guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. Another example, just, just in the teaching of Jesus, Jesus says this, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. When you get pressed, when you get pressurized, when you're going through stuff, what comes out, what's in there? What's in your heart? The mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in them. An evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in them. Another way he says that a good tree produces good fruit. It can't help it. It just comes out. It's the overflow. A bad tree produces bad fruit. We all go through seasons where we're like, my heart's not in a good place. And when it's not, we can't produce good fruits. You can be around someone for 10 seconds and realize, where their heart's at and the fruit coming out of a bad heart it's like man this is just not blessing anybody but when your heart's in a good place you want to love people well you want to like pray for people <laughs> you want to serve people you want to bless people another way jesus says it they say teacher what's the greatest commandment they're trying to look look from a mind perspective and and undermine him challenge him trap him what's the greatest commandment jesus says oh that's easy that's easy Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love God with all your heart. This is the first, and it's the same word, protos. This is the first and greatest commandment. Return to your first love. Do the things you did at first. Jesus says, this is the first and greatest command. It all starts here. Everything else you're gonna do for God or for others starts here. Love God with all your heart. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The heart is central. It's central to who you are. It's central to what 
you do. And I'm telling you, the heart is, is a mysterious thing. It needs time. You might need margin to just even know what's going on in there. Maybe a good practice from this could just be getting up early one day this week and just spending some time going, okay, what is going on in my heart? For me, I have to write about it. I, I'm an extrovert. I have to extrovert everything to understand anything. <laughs> so I journal. One of my mentors years ago was like, when you feel that anxiety, that angst, where you're like, I'm not at peace and I'm having trouble sleeping. I don't know what's going on, going on inside of me. He's like, he, he said one of the things he did was had a password protected document and he just lays it all out there. And I took, I've taken that and run with it. Uh, it's been an unbelievable practice for me because sometimes I don't know, is this a good thing in my heart? Is this a bad thing? I don't know. I got to get it all out there. I got to pour my heart out to God. No holding back. Just put it out there and then God discerns it. He tests it. He refines it. Um, I put in that thing, you know, if you are not Matt Reynolds, you have no business reading this document and I will not be held responsible for anything here. I mean, I have to have a place where I'm just pouring it all out. There's that psalm that says, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes we want things and we're afraid to say it. What I've come to is just, I'm gonna put it out there. What does my heart want? And then God can help me discern, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that something that he wants to give or is that something that I want that's gonna cause just pain in my life? I know when I was going on my journey, just getting reconnected with my heart, one story that stuck out is uh, the story of the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz. Any Wizard of Oz fans in the house? So I didn't realize this, but the backstory on the Tin Man is he was in love, he was a, he was a full human, and he was in love with this maiden, and he, he just, he wanted to marry her, but the only thing, he was like, I gotta build this cottage so that we can have a place to live. And so he starts building this cottage, but the Wicked Witch was jealous and hated his love for her. It's the enemy in the story, not attacking the love, attacking the heart. And so she cast a spell on him and he would, his ax would slip and it would cut off different parts of his body and he would go to the tenor and, and, and get tin, you know, tinned up. And originally he was happy. He was like, I can work faster, I can work harder, I can produce more, I can build this house quicker for my munchkin maiden. But eventually his body was cut completely open and he lost his heart. And he, he, over time, he didn't even care about the maiden anymore. He was just about producing and efficiency. He was, he was addicted to what he could do with his body. And then one day the rain comes, he's away from his house and he leaves his, his little oil can and he gets, he gets rusted up. And this is what it says. It's part of what he says when they come and find him. For a year he was in that state. He said it was a terrible thing to undergo, but I had time to think during this year. The greatest loss I had known was the loss of my heart. He got so good at doing what he was doing for love that he forgot why he was doing it and then he didn't care why he was, he lost his heart. I don't know if that's happened to you. Maybe your heart's in a painful place. Maybe your heart's burnt out. Maybe your heart's bitter. Maybe you don't quite know, but you're like, I, something's not right there. I just ask you, do you want to reconnect to your heart? Do you want to renew your heart? Do you want God to do a work in your heart? It might not happen on your timetable. It might not go the way you want it to go, but he will do it if you'll go there with him. 
Sometimes the most painful places are the richest places in our life. Dave Rhodes, a guy in the family church, has talked about our values. He, talks, he says a lot of times values come out of the most painful seasons of your life. You value certain things because you're like, man, I know the opposite of that. And I've, I've actually gone to those places in my life and said, I'm going to confront the pain. I'm going to go there with God. I'm going to bring out some gold that I can live from and I can heal others from that place of pain and wounding. Paul says it this way, that the comfort I've received from God in, in my place of hurt and suffering, I can offer that comfort to others. So powerful. We only get this though if we're connected to our heart. What's the motivation in your heart? Maybe it was a good thing. You started off with a job or a house or family or you're living here because of God led you here and then now you're like, you know, but if I'm honest, it's just my heart is going after status. It's going after money. It's going after stuff. And we know that sometimes we're like, this is dumb. Why does my heart just want stuff? I know that's not going to do anything for me. But what's the motivation? What's going on in there? Maybe it's renewing that this morning. God, renew my heart. It's been misplaced. I think the temptation of Ephesus was just, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things to focus on. There's a lot of things to do. And their heart for God, that first chief place, a love and a heart for God had just drifted and fallen. And Jesus says, you can do all the work for me, but if your heart is not with me and connected to me and going deeper with me, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. The light's gonna go off in your life. The light's gonna go off in your church. Uh, I remember Jude a few years ago. So the first one's guard your heart. This story leads us to the next one. How do we love him well? Jude a few years ago, I was gone doing my 10 man work somewhere. I don't know where I was. I was out there working. And March was at home with Jude and he was, he was, he was building this puzzle. He was building this puzzle and then he was getting frustrated. He was crying. He just, he just got so upset and Mark's like, what's wrong, Jude? What's, what's happening? He's like, I'm building this puzzle for daddy. And he just couldn't do it. I don't know if it was above his level or what. He could not make this puzzle and he had gotten it in his head. I have to make this puzzle to please my father. What are you doing, Jude? I'm making this puzzle for daddy. <laughs> and I, I love that story. I was like, oh my gosh. I didn't ask him to do it, but he got this thing stuck in his head and I thought, how many of us are slaving to build God a puzzle that he never asked for? We're doing this project. I'm leading this thing. I'm doing this group. I'm married to this person. God, <laughs> I'm making this puzzle for you. I'm raising these kids. And we get, we get frustrated about it. We get bitter about it. Like, I'm doing this. God, I can really get some help down here. This puzzle is hard. <laughs> This thing I'm doing, because you asked me to do it, is really difficult. And I wonder if there's some perspective, some revelation where God says, ah, man, I love the heart, but like, I didn't ask you to build that puzzle for me. I thought about it. If Jude would have asked me, Daddy, what would please you? I know exactly what I would say. Jude, <laughs> I want you to listen to me <laughs> and do the few things <laughs> I'm asking you to do. And then just enjoy your life. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care. Just do the, listen to me. Do the few things I'm asking you to do and enjoy your life. I think this is what God's saying to us. How do we love him well? Guard your heart. Number two, listen to his voice. 
just listen to him. John 10, he's like, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. They follow me. I lead them out. Psalm 23 is this awesome passage about God leading us. The only thing that, that, that works though is if we're listening to his voice. If you look at Revelation chapter one, there's all these, there's this description of Jesus. There's three word pictures about the voice. It's the only thing that gets multiple references. It says his voice is like a trumpet, trumpet, his voice is like a sword, and his voice is like rushing water, or the sound of rushing water. Some translations call it a waterfall. So it's like, okay, how do I listen to that voice? How do I follow the voice? What does that mean that it's like a rushing water? And sometimes if you don't understand something in the Bible, you go back to where it was first mentioned or where it's mentioned in another place. Ezekiel 43, 2 is another, just like John here, Ezekiel's in exile, having a revelation of one like the son of man, of Jesus and an angel's leading him around. It's almost exactly the same. He uses the same description. He says, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And then in Ezekiel 47, it's like, well, what is, this, what is this water doing? And it gives us this picture of water coming out of the temple, out of the place of the presence of God or where they would meet with God. And then this water's coming out of the temple. It turns into this river, Ezekiel 47. Some of you guys have probably heard this before. And he's led by this angel and the, the waters are going deeper and deeper. So there's something about this voice of God that's like a river and then you figure out it's a living river it's alive but it's calling him deeper and deeper this is what the voice of God does it calls us deeper and deeper in relationship with him into trust with him the water's at the ankles and it's at the knees and it's at the waist and it's overhead he's like I can't afford it it's an invitation to completely surrender to the voice of God the river of God where it just takes you you're not in control anymore you're like I'm going with the flow literally I never saw this before, but then the river goes and it goes into the dead places. It goes into the Arabah, which is like the ditch. And then it ends in the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the planet, 1300 feet below sea level. So this river that starts as a trickle turns into this rushing river that would have sounded like a rushing waters. And then it turns into a waterfall and it dumps into the Dead Sea. If this actually happened in, in, in real life, it would be the biggest waterfall on the planet deafening sound so what's Jesus saying in this here's what I think he's saying you're in the river of God and you're going with the flow but you have to surrender to it and eventually it's like every time he calls you to take a big risk and trust him again it's like going off a waterfall and you're afraid you're gonna die and here's the paradox you're in the river of God you're with God you're following us so you can't die but you're going over a waterfall that you can't survive that's what it feels like to follow him. You're like, am I gonna do it again? And guess what, most people don't. They just go, nope, I'm going back. Get me back where I can walk around a little bit. I'm with God, but I'm still in control. I'm with God, but I'm not doing this. I'm with God, but I'm not going over a waterfall. And he'll do it every couple of years, every, every so often. He's like, we're going over the falls again. Are you still with me? It's a call to go deeper. It's a call to go deeper. Most people don't. Most people don't. It's scary, it's hard. If we listen to his voice, this is what it looks like. I'm going with him. Do you love me? Do you still love me? Follow me over the, go over the falls with me again. Take this risk. Go with me in this. It feels hard. It feels like trust, like the first time, every time. And then the last one's connected to it. How do we love him well? Guard our hearts, listen to his voice, and then just obey. Obey what he's saying. 
Go over the falls. Uh, one, one simple thing that Jesus says in John 15, I love this. He says, if you want to remain in my love, this is John 15, 9. God, I want to return to you. I want to be in your love. If you want to remain in my love, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. This is what faithfulness looks like. It's just being there, obeying those simple things, those simple commands. It's just like a covenant relationship with your spouse. I'm, I'm staying faithful to this covenant. I'm obeying it. I'm, I'm committed to what I said I was gonna do. I had a uh, situation recently, about six months ago, where I wanted to do something. It was like a financial opportunity. I really was excited about it. I wanted to do it. And as I got closer and closer to it, I literally felt like I got a no from Jesus. And it kind of surprised me. I was like, man, I hadn't gotten one of those in a while. But it was a clear no. You know, there's, there's a lot of gray, like, God, should I do this or this? He's like, I don't know, figure it out. Or like, you know, you should probably do this, but you make the decision. Then there's those times where it's like, it was a no. Do not do this. But I still wanted to do it. <laughs> and I, I wrestled with it. I was like, God, no, I don't think you're seeing all the chips on the table. He's like, no, I'm saying no. It's just like when I'm talking to Jude, like, Jude, I understand your argument, but no means no. <laughs> Will you just obey? And, and, and there was no rationalization, there was no explanation. And I, I, almost, I had good, like, Christian people telling me I should do this. And I felt almost just embarrassed when I said, I can't do it. Why, why not? I'm just getting a no from Jesus. <laughs> and when I finally just surrendered to that and, and agreed with it and obeyed that, I mean, there was such a peace and my peace was restored to me. The peace was there, that perfect peace of God just from simple obedience. And then some other opportunities came along and I just felt like God was like, yeah, just say yes to whatever you want. Say yes. You followed the no, now there's a bunch of yeses there. And I think this is interesting because the end of this letter and the band can go ahead and come up. We're going to end here. It says, if you overcome, I'll give you the right to eat from the tree of life. If you go back to that Genesis narrative, God said, do whatever you want. Just don't eat from this one tree. But it said, you know, we didn't, we didn't listen. They didn't listen. Psalm 81.10 says the same thing. I brought you out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not listen. And it says what? Their hearts were stubborn. God said, just don't eat from this one tree and do whatever you want. We're like, oh, that's the one thing I want to do. <laughs> what, where, what is the obedience call in your life? How do you love him well? We guard our hearts and listen to his voice and we just obey those simple things. I want to invite you this morning just to, um, just to kind of search your heart for a minute. We're going to sing um, a few songs here, but I, you know, really be present to your heart. Maybe it's just a simple prayer of asking God to renew your heart. Maybe it's an acknowledgement that like, God, I'm not connected to my heart. Help, what's the first step? Um, I just encourage you as well. If you, if you need prayer, um, let's just, you can ask someone just to pray for you in this time. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone you came with. Um, there's staff and volunteers here who would love to pray for you as well. If you're just like, I just need prayer. I just need encouragement. My heart feels dead. It feels bitter. It feels like it's just in a bad place. I think it starts there. What does it look like to listen to his voice? What's Jesus been talking to you about? 
Maybe you just want to spend a few minutes writing about that, praying into that. What have you been talking to me about, Jesus? What do you want me to hear? What, what, where do I need that prayer of revelation to, to uncover my ears? I've been hearing you, but it's like static. I'm not really hearing you clearly. Uncover my ears so I can hear what you're trying to speak to me. Jesus, he wants to lead you. He's the good shepherd. Where's he asking you to take a risk and maybe go over the falls? That's probably not for everybody this morning, but that's probably for a few people. And you hear the sound of those falls. Now you feel that rushing water. And that's a big question. Am I gonna go over these falls? Are you gonna trust him again? Are you gonna keep trusting him? Keep going with the flow of his spirit. And maybe there's just some simple obedience. I don't need this puzzle, Jude. Just listen to my voice. (laughs) Do the few things I'm asking you to do. Don't hit your brother. (laughs) Don't call us stupid. (laughs) What are those few things? God, just renew our hearts. I'm just gonna pray. Lord, just renew our hearts right now. Renew our hearts for you. Renew a right spirit in us where we've even been viewing people in a certain way and we don't even like it. We're like, God, change this. Help me. Minister to my heart, Lord, give us a pathway. Show us the paths of righteousness that we can become healthy and whole people with our hearts rightly directed to you. Lord, I pray for just an increase of our heart. Just grow our hearts, cultivate our hearts this morning, plant some seeds in our heart. The picture and the vision I've been getting with this message is that there's so much good that God wants to do out of people, his people here, out of every person here, there's so much good. There's so much fruit that can come out of your life. I don't even, you might be in a season where you're depressed. You might be in a season where you feel hopeless and despairing. You're like, I don't, I can't see anything that could come in the future, but I'm telling you, there is so much good that can come out of you. It will blow you away if you could see it, the fruit and the overflow of your life. But it might take some time to get your heart in a good place so that fruit can come. Lord, we want to cultivate our hearts this morning, renew our hearts, that the full harvest of our life would be possible. Pray, thank you for this community, God. Thank you for the way Grace Midtown has overflowed so much already. Oh my gosh. The overflow, the harvest out of this community, these people, because of hearts connected to you has been tremendous, God, but it's just getting started. It's just beginning. Thank you for the team here. Thank you for the body here. Lord, would you just connect our hearts in such a way that there's just an abundance of fruit that would just blow us away. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Let it be so. Do those things that only your river of life can do. You bring dead places to life. You can do it. You can bring healing in every season. Just press into that this morning. So I just invite you, if you need prayer for anything, You can go ahead and stand up even. If you need prayer, just just ask for prayer from your neighbor, from one of the staff. Just enter into this moment of worship. But if you need ministry in your heart, don't leave this morning without asking someone to just pray for you, encourage you. Amen.